0: Dedicated to books on cinema. Hello everybody and welcome to Writers on Film. My name's John Bleesdale. I am a writer and film critic. And today I'm going to be talking to the novelist Anthony Mara. Anthony has written uh, three novels, A Constellation of Vital Phenomena, The Tsar of Love and Techno, and his latest book, which we're going to be talking about today, is Mercury Pictures Presents. This novel um, follows the travails of a fictional studio in the 1940s America, and a fictional Hollywood studio, I guess is the best way of saying it. And the various uh, workers, owners, or, uh, studio heads who are um, dealing with the running of the studio, but also uh, America's imminent entry into the Second World War, the rise of fascism, the immigrant experience, uh, racism. Lots of different topics are addressed by the novel, but it's also a very funny, very funny comic novel as you will hear me express during our conversation but it's a really good book you don't need to have read it to listen to the podcast because we are uh, we try to keep it spoiler free but uh i've got a feeling if you listen to the conversation you'll want to read the book soon afterwards so buyer beware in that sense um if you uh, enjoy the podcast please remember to uh subscribe and to like and to to tweet about it and to uh yeah generally if you could share share the word i would really appreciate it you can follow me on twitter at dr John d r j o n t y. but before you do any of that please enjoy the conversation mm-hmm.
1: So my my first two books are set in uh the former Soviet Union. And after after writing two books in that world, both of which deal in different ways with um the intersection of art and politics and the creation of propaganda in in the former um in, in the USSR and, and contemporary Russia. After writing two books set in that world, I was ready to come in from the cold. And I um I figured where better to to warm up than than Southern California. Um I used to to live in LA. My wife is from there and I've always been fascinated with this period in LA's history when you saw this incredible cultural transfusion of emigres fleeing Europe and and landing in LA. Frank Lloyd Wright once said that if you tip the world on its side all of the loose pieces end in end up in um in, in Los Angeles and I think that was probably never more true than in the 1930s and 40s when thousands of, of refugees fleeing fascism landed in, in L.A. And what what really fascinated me about that period was the ways in which um, this this community was. Responsible for many of the, you know, many of the movies of of the 1940s that are are best remembered these days and how they became an integral part of the American propaganda apparatus during the war. Even though as citizens of Axis aligned countries, they were they were often denied um, the very rights and freedoms that their movies championed. And that that um, artistic and moral and political set of contradictions just really seemed like a a ripe area to um, to set a novel within. I I, I think that often um, depictions of filmmaking and depictions of Hollywood, particularly in in the golden age, really lean into the the decadence and the um, excess and essentially treat Hollywood as a fundamentally unserious place. and uh, you know in in the research I did, in the reading, you know in 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 the work of of a number of guests who have appeared on on this very podcast, it seemed to me that 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 uh, view of of both the period and and the industry was um was flawed somewhat and um and I was interested in in maybe taking a, a somewhat different approach on on that period.
0: really interesting that you say that because I think, that's that's what I got. There was a real sense of admiration for some of these people and the mavericks, and not not uncritical, but but uh, focused. And then you see something like Babylon, which I haven't seen yet. Which I haven't seen yet. I, I hasten to add. But even from the title and, and the reference, obviously, is to Kenneth Anger's uh, Hollywood Babylon. There's this sense of like that that the sleazy hollywood is the hollywood that sort of lives most vibrantly in our imaginations.
1: Yeah, I think that's so true. You, you know, I, I think it's 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 not without um a degree of of merit, but but I think like all you know, uh, as has been been said, the, the the problem with cliches isn't necessarily that it's it that cliches are completely are completely false, but that they they simply narrow the the field of of experience um, to one story. I think I was interested in looking at at some of these these other stories that that appear during this this period and um you know one of the one of the things that that i find so so fascinating is is how you know the the movies that that live on in the cultural imagination the most from from that period i think are the ones that um that that were fundamentally interested in, in politics in some way. I I mean the, the 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 movie that I think you know probably has endured the most is, is obviously Casablanca. And that's a movie that was made by and and about uh refugees. And it came uh not only to really define and express you know the 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 experience of of many of the the participants in in the the making of that movie um who had you know fled Europe but but also came to to really define how America um came to see itself in that period and those seem to be some of the you know some of the 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 films and and the, and the stories that 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 maybe undercut this this image of of Hollywood as this, you know, preposterous place filled with frivolous people.
0: Casablanca I rewatched quite recently and I thought it's so amazing not only how much that film is as you say, um and uh, Noah Eisenberg's book about it is a really really good read if 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 our listeners haven't already uh Oh, fantastic! I, I absolutely love that book. Yeah, superb. You know all the stories behind even small roles. People who have come from Germany have. I mean, it, you know, it's it's uh, it's an anti-Nazi movie, which is so anti-Nazi. Even the Nazis are played by anti-Nazis. It's,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and and, and th- I I think that that that's a great example though of of some of the just the the paradoxes that that a number of these figured figures faced where you have um you know german jewish actors who can only find work in in hollywood portraying the very villains they thought they had escaped
0: which of course you feature in your you feature in your novel as well in terms of the the character of ed who is a chinese actor chinese American, who who can only get roles as sort of villainous japanese uh post post Pearl Harbor, or even, I mean, you know, there are other villainous
1: characters that he plays pre pre Pearl Harbor as well. It's it's sort of this rather bizarre set of of, of circumstances in, in which in which a number of Asian American actors, um Philip Bond, Richard Liu, Chester Gunn, um suddenly found themselves in in a position where where they're they, they were in high demand due to um the necessity of um creating Anti-Japanese movies. Eddie, as as you mentioned, is is this character who has spent uh, his entire career being typecast in in roles that fall far below his his talents. He's he's sort of the only major character in the novel who was born in in the U.S. Um, and, and really the only major character who has um, much genuine talent in in the book. Um, but because of the the racist typecasting that was so prevalent in in Hollywood during that period, um, both on the set and, and often, and that continues in, in many ways From through to the present day. He is as much of an outsider and an exile as the emigres that he works with. And following Pearl Harbor, he is hired by the studio Mercury Pictures to play Japanese villains. And one of the things that that I, I found so interesting about dramatically interesting uh, about this you know, sort of circumstance that he finds himself in is that is that the war really puts this character Eddie in in a position where his livelihood comes in direct conflict with his conscience. And I think that that this was a this was sort of an existential position that that many figures involved in in the propaganda um, business found themselves in, where they you know, Eddie really abhors the the sort of racist caricatures that he's he's assigned, but he's also determined to take advantage of this brief moment where he has a bit of bargaining power in an industry that has long marginalized him.
0: That's that's what I think makes the novel so fascinating is is how the the release Complicated, you know, moments where 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 characters are genuinely challenged by their by the price of success and and then what they can what they can reap back from those compromises, what they can sort of uh, you know how they can empower themselves, but does that come at the cost of a of a larger political problem?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the one of the the sort of the the through line or, or or Perhaps thematic reoccurrences in in the novel is is the presence of devils, devils bargains, right? And it's during this this time period, Thomas Mann was writing Doctor Faustus in the Pacific Palisades. His son Klaus uh, wrote Mephisto a, a decade prior, which also is in. An updated version of, um, you know, the the Faustian the the, the Faustian tale, and I, I find these I find like devil's bargains in general to be an incredibly dramatic, an incredibly powerful dramatic tool because I think that we all face devil's bargains every day on on much smaller scales. That that every choice is a compromise to one extent or another, and I think that that these. Moral conflicts um, are perhaps more interesting than um, than other forms of conflict, because it pits characters not only against outside forces, but also against themselves. And so throughout the, the, the novel. More or less, every character is, is every major character um, faces some kind of devil's bargain, and in fact, that is the um, the name of of one of the movies that um, that the studio is is producing that gets them in you know quite hot water with uh, a number of uh, reactionary forces in the months leading up to Pearl Harbor. Uh,
0: I don't want to obviously spoil the the novel too too much for people who uh, haven't had an opportunity to read it yet, although I'm sure there will be uh, there'll be a lot of people who've already read it listening to this but let, let's let's just uh, sort of how would you set it up for someone who hasn't read the novel as a as your what's your sort of your elevator pitch so to speak <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, so, uh, the, the, the book is, is set within a, a, a studio called Mercury pictures, which is, I, I sort of envisioned as a, almost a poverty row version of Warner brothers. Um, a, a, a studio whose, whose movies are, you know, a a mix of schlock and uh, social, social message movies that relies on the, that rely on the, the free publicity of scandal to generate publicity. And it, the, the studio is run by Artie and, and Ned Feldman, who are loosely based on uh, on Jack and Harry Warner, and the the our sort of focal point for the, the novel is Artie's right hand uh, right hand woman, uh, a character named Maria Logana, who is an associate producer, and she she was probably my my favorite character to write. I I, I sort of um, she's this tough, ambitious, irreverent driver. I I pictured her as Rosalind Russell's character in *His Girl Friday*, only <laughs> a uh, a bit more salty and a lot more Italian. Um, and when we first meet her. Um, Her boss already is under investigation by isolationists in the U.S. Congress. The studio is um, struggling financially and her personal and professional lives are uh, in a bit of a state. And like like many characters in the book, she arrives to Mercury essentially in in flight from Europe. She grew up in fascist Italy and fled to Los Angeles with her mother after a childhood transgression led to her father's arrest. And her father is is imprisoned in, in southern in Italy, and her experience over the course of her adolescence with writing to him and, and sort of trying to negotiate the um, the postal censor in, in Italy that censors their correspondence um, sort of gives her a talent for writing around censors. Um, uh, which proves beneficial to her career in in Hollywood, where you know the censorship of of the pr- production code is uh, is th- one of the primary governing forces. So it, even though Maria has sort of reinvented herself as this unflappable producer, she is still haunted by the role that she played in her father's fate. Um, until one day, a man from her father's past. Arrives at the studio among all of these other refugees that have come to Mercury to find work, and with his appearance, the various fictions she has spun to survive begin to unravel.
0: It's funny how I I, I love that idea of Rosalind Russell. Who did you who did you picture as Artie then? Because I mean that the the ref- <laughs> definitely not Cary Grant, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, no, that would have been that
1: would have worked. Well, first of all, Cary Grant's got a full head of hair. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. So, I, I, one of the, one of the real joys of, of writing a novel, um, set in this, in this world is that you can sort of move between different styles and, and tropes. Um, so for a lot of the, a lot of the, the front office, you know, b- business was very much pitched in a, uh, screwball comedy sort of mode. Um, there are other chapters that sort of, uh, send up, you know, some of the, the film noir traditions, uh, Uh, There are, you know, obviously uh, uh, war film becomes a fact uh, later in in, in the book and and sort of being able to shift between, uh, you know, some of the most popular genres of the period became one of the. One of the underlying interests and and uh, uh, motives for for writing it, but you're not going to give
0: me a name, you know. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I'm not. <that. laughs> yeah. Also, when you uh, the very title sort of of the studio Mercury Pictures makes me feel think immediately of of Orson Welles mm-hmm. uh, as a possible thing, and I was kind of thinking, I was kind of thinking, yeah, Warner's. But then Jack Warner's act- is actually in the novel, so there's a there's a bit where well, it can't be Warners because because there's Warners, right? Um, a little bit archaic because of the because just of the fact that it's it, it's got the Mercury and the Orson Wells connection. But then I was also thinking there's a little bit of sort of uh, uh, a historically there's a little bit of sort of a Roger Corman kind of mm-hmm. st- structure to this sort of a studio that's definitely hanging on by its fingernails financially. Mm-hmm
1: yeah yeah I I was sort of I, I sort of pictured Mercury as being at the same sort of the the same level of of a republic or um a a monogram sort of uh, a studio of 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 that level of um, you know financial security and artistic artistic achievement, yeah. It it, it I, I sort of uh, the, the, the there's a an Orson, Orson Welles Wells reference sort of uh, midway through the book when when the attack on Pearl Harbor was announced in LA, a, a number of people assumed that it was um, that it was Orson Wells, you know, sort of causing a panic again as as he did with his War of the Worlds broadcast, and one of the 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 the, the Reasons that I that I wanted to to sort of tip my hat to um, to Orson Welles and, and Mercury in, in the title and and in the name of the studio is the fact that that the War of the Worlds broadcast um, created this you know this 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 hysteria in America in 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 a similar way as some of the films that um, Mercury Pictures this fictitious studio creates a, a degree of panic. Um, uh, following Pearl Harbor and the release of a number of these propaganda movies.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got this great structure as well of, of having sort of a situation and then, then, then quite lengthy sort of flashbacks to provide context for some of these characters, particularly in Maria at the very beginning, but then you have other characters, Italian characters, who, who go back to, to, to fill in their thing. But it's also interesting in terms of the sort of history and the moment, the, the situation that they find themselves in the moment, that Europe is kind of rehearsing the Second World War before the Second World War starts and and fascism is there long before not well, before Nazism is there. And, and so you've got these you've got this situation where where you the characters can see sort of and, and some of them have experienced it before it comes to America, so to speak. I was thinking particularly in the in the case of Maria's father, that idea of The the particular Mussolini's sort of like invention of sort of exiling people within the country so that they would be sent to a a village. Uh, I live in Italy and I know that in Italy your identity is very much based on your local region where you're from. So that if you get sent to to the south and you're from the north or vice versa, then you're very much it's like a foreign country. Uh, And and that sort of situation is is similar to how a lot of the characters find themselves in there's no prison around them, but they're, there is a kind of psychological prison, if you like.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. That's the, the, the sort of connection between between how internal exiles in, in Italy experienced experienced exile and, and how these um, refugees in America experienced exile during the war was actually sort of the point when the book really came together for me. So right. so when, when I began thinking about this project, it was um, originally um, I was debating between writing a novel set exclusively in LA um, during this period and one set set in southern Italy during during you know uh, this similar period and, and I, I sort of envisioned them as two separate um, novels and for months I was bouncing back and forth between between the two of them. I'm not particularly known for decisiveness. I have trouble <laughs> committing to an appetite. <laughs> Let alone a multi-year book project, and things finally uh, came together for me when my wife and I took a trip to to Lipari, which is the largest of the Aeolian Islands off the coast of of Sicily. It's, it's also um, happens to be where my great grandmother's family emigrated from, and it's this stunning island. That it's you know one of this this chain of volcanic islands with with these you know sweeping views and spectacular beaches, and you know it 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 looks like just a you know a postcard from from paradise and um on one of our last days there we noticed this little plaque that was um high up on on the wall of of the citadel and the plaque commemorated the various anti-fascists and artists and intellectuals who had been exiled to Lipari by Mussolini. And in in fact, Lipari was the the largest internment colony in in Italy under Mussolini. And I never heard of this particular chapter um, in the island's history. And it was hard to imagine that this island paradise that that I could trace my own roots to had once been Mussolini's Alcatraz and it occurred to me as i was you know sort of standing there that german and and austrian exiles sometimes referred to los angeles as sunny siberia and it seemed that this same term could be easily applied to libri as well and so it seemed that to me that that los angeles and that the los angeles novel and the italy novel weren't two separate books but were rather halves of the same book and that Mercury Pictures presents would be the story of these two sunny Siberias and this one family divided between them.
0: That's fascinating. That's so 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 interesting. That we we you know you you look at these places and you sometimes think, um, as, as you say, they're sunny, they're wonderful from a certain point of view. But if. If you're forced to be there, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where it is and what what you're doing. It's really, it's that idea of compulsion and the lack of freedom which makes it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 sort of that, as you said that that like so so much of so much of the of the of the sense of, of confinement and and imprisonment was, was psychological. That these were were places. know both both in in italy and in in um the areas where where internal exiles were sent there wouldn't be barbed wire there wouldn't be you know big walls it was it was often simply um uh, a a particular uh, a particular area that they were allowed to live in and and they weren't allowed to go past these sort of invisible um uh, markers outside of whether it was the town limits or you know a, a, a river or or what have you, and um, in Los Angeles um, during during the war, uh, citizens of of Axis countries were classified as as enemy aliens, even if they uh, fled to the U.S. as as refugees, and they were prohibited from from traveling more than five miles from their house. If they lived on the coastline, they were forced to move in inland. Um, they had to you know surrender camp cameras radios flashlights anything that could potentially be used to spy or commit acts of sabotage and the ways in which in which the US began to you know in in some subtle ways resemble and put into practice elements from the very fascist countries that they were at war with felt um felt to me like an aspect of the history of, of World War II on the American home front that you know is is often downplayed in our history. I, I I think that Americans tend to to be very proud of our role in in the Second World War, with, you know, with 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 some justification. Um, I think it's it's often because you know we've we've been involved in so many disastrous foreign wars in Years since, and and you know, at least we can look back on this one and and say, well, uh, you know, we were on the side of the angels. But I think that the sort of greatest generation uh, mythology often often maybe flattens um, some of the complexities and and the ways in which in which we were um, complicit in in the very the very evils that we are purportedly fighting against.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Spe- specifically in the the treatment of the the Japanese in in terms mm-hmm. of uh, uh, and and also sort of yeah, you're fighting some an ideology which has at its core uh, a racism uh, and then you use racism for your own propaganda ends in terms of demonizing uh, which I think was always more true in the pacific theater and the japanese enemy than it was in the against the germans you know you could you couldn't really anglo-europeans couldn't really turn to the germans and and, and use racial racist epithets against them
1: yeah i, I think that that is entirely true and, and and it's also you know it's 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 visible in in the very movies of, of the time did you ever read projections of war by thomas uh, thomas doherty No, no, I haven't. No. It's it's a brilliant, brilliant book. I I, all all of his books are 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 fantastic. But in um, in projections of war, he he goes through and 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 looks at how Germans, Italians and and Japanese were portrayed as villains. Mm. And how um, you know, so often and 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 it's their images that endure to to this day, the portrayal of of Nazis as these, you know, cool, callous, sort of sociopathic villains. Um, who are very calculating and, and devious and um, but 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 in a way highly rational whereas you know it, italians were usually portrayed as if they were portrayed as at all as, as sort of buffoons like like they were the the comic comic relief
0: who would often swap sides at some point in the film would often maybe exactly.
1: <laughs> maybe be, be exactly.
0: one over to the good side maybe be sort of <laughs> traitorous and uh you know but but definitely un, untrustworthy
1: <laughs> yeah whereas whereas um you know japanese the 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 japanese characters in in these movies often um uh, weren't even um, presented as characters. Um, they were. He, he, I, I, I think it was Thomas uh, Thomas Doherty's book. Maybe it was. It might have been Hollywood Goes to War. It, it might have been in, in Hollywood Goes to War by um, right. Clayton Copps, where the author looks at looks at how how Native Americans were portrayed in westerns and how Japanese soldiers were per- portrayed in World War II films, and and how both. The, the the ways in which they were othered um, the, the ways in which they were presented as as less than human as as being as 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 being denied even the the humanity of of a point of view in um you know in in the actual um, shot by shot
0: that's fascinating because I, I was watching thin red line recently and i think that film is very interesting in how it sh- it doesn't show the japanese almost like it's a vietnamese uh, vietnam war Movie in which the the Viet Cong are represented by the jungle rather than by actual soldiers. Uh, you see the sort of consequences of of their you know. You first come across corpses that have been desecrated, and then you see, uh, and then you, they're just sort of points of fire, and then they're a gun barrel, and then when they actually get to the Japanese, they're they're obviously these emaciated, malarial, suffering you know human beings, wretches really. But then there's this remarkable shot of a japanese face that's that's basically been pounded into the earth and you get the voiceover of this Japanese uh, soldier saying, "Are you noble? Do you think? Do you th- do you think I wasn't loved? Do you think I wasn't admired? Do you think this made me immune to what the world did to me?" And it's just, mm-hmm. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but it's just an it's just such a fascinating and unusual way of showing the 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 enemy of the war film through a series mm-hmm. of stages, which which actually by the end of it is is kind of quite
1: empathetic. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah, and it, it, I mean that—that that seems like um, like something that you know you you certainly wouldn't have seen in you know in, in the films of of the forties. Um, yeah. What's what's, what's the, Bo- the
0: Bogart movie as well? Isn't there? there's a Bogart movie with uh, Sydney Greenstreet? Uh, is it like Northwest
1: Passage or something, which is very virulently anti-Japanese. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean I mean so many of them. Like right. the, the, the most, you know, the most heinous I think was probably Little Tokyo USA, in part because it's you know, the, the, the filmmakers actually went to, to Little Tokyo in, in Los Angeles and filmed the you know, the forced relocation of um of Japanese Americans and included it in in the, the film as as the essentially the the as the film describes it, um sort of like the just result for uh you know, sabotage. And so, not only does the film, you know, does this this film uh, essentially excuse, not only excuse, but but really celebrate uh, the decision to. To intern Japanese Am- uh, Americans, but it it, it also used um, those very real human beings as extras in this you know in this grotesque movie in in a way that, you know that I, I think is um, is beyond ugly um, and is is one of those one of those cases where you you look at that movie and you know it's it's it feels like a Nazi propaganda movie in terms of of its demonization and the the way that it it blends this sort of paranoid um, espionage plot with you know the the very real ramifications of um, you know of that kind of racialized hysteria that was gripping um, the U.S. at the time. You know I I think that that one of the one of the the things about you know the movies of this period and 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 that in in the novel I I just found myself fascinated with is is how a culture defines its enemies, um, says so much more about, about that culture than it does about the, you know, the, 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 supposed, um, the supposed monsters. And I think that, you know, obviously America has an incredibly troubled history with, with race. And so often, um, you know, we have historically defined, defined villains along racial lines. And, and that was certainly the case in, in so many of these movies of the 1940s.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I, And there's a sort of sense of projection as well with the, you know, um, I I always think that that Hollywood very much goes on the man bites dog sort of. I mean, I think it's something not necessarily inherent in Hollywood as such, but inherent in all drama, all fiction, all novels, is that 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 sort of goes against the idea of like uh, art as being this sort of purveyor of truth is... You know, if you if you read books, there's much more. uh, I mean, if you read novels, thinking you're going to get a view of what reality is like, you're going to it's going to be skewed very much in favour of drama and murder and violence and betrayal, all these sort of things, rather than you know the rather humdrum reality of 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 what life's actually like. Um, I I mean, I was thinking recently of uh, an example of that being uh, the sort of Hoopla over. the new film, Ta, which seems to be, let's do a a sort of Me Too story, but with the the male figure changed into a female figure, so that it's about bullying and it's about uh, inappropriate use of power. Uh, But we'll swap out the man for a woman because, you know, that's man bites dog. That's, you know, dog bites man isn't interesting in the same way. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I I think one of the one of the so so my my wife is an art historian specializing in in photography. And uh, when my previous. Book the Tsar of Love and Techno um, came out when, when um, I, I should say while I was working on it. She uh, she showed me a number of these folios of, of photographs from the Civil War. Combat photographers were moving around corpses. Were were sort of staging scenes. And the idea that you know, ten years after the advent of photography, it was already being used um, uh, to manipulate uh, reality and sort of record these these images that purported to be real um, that were nonetheless staged is is something that 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 I've always been sort of fascinated with. This idea that at the you know this tension at the heart of filmmaking that um, that it's a medium that can be both subjective art and objective evidence. you know it, it can be used to create fantasy and record reality and and this is I think um, an an unresolvable conflict at the heart of the medium. Uh, you know, I, I, I think um, many of these characters struggle with and and, and that I think I think filmmakers uh, in, in general have to contend with
0: yeah yeah and I I mean I guess I guess novels don't have that same direct, Ability to to even purport to transparency, you know, you can't. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're it's it's obviously a narrative. It's obviously these are stories being told, and and mm-hmm. and with with your novel, there's there's a sense of of people having backstories. For instance, that mm-hmm. that 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 are viewed in different ways. You know, different characters experience roughly the same thing. But they have totally different views of, of how the how that event actually happened or why it happened or, or what the consequences are. Um, one, one thing I wanted to ask actually was uh, your the way we're talking about it now. It sounds very very serious. We're talking about you know major events and we're we're giving them uh, the necessary respect they deserve. Absolutely. But your your book's so funny and it's uh, without.
1: Cool fact.
0: In any way, rendering what it its not silly, it's not funny in a silly way, it's not unserious, but it is very, very funny. And I—I I just wanted to make sure we convey to uh, to our listeners that that this is a really fun read, uh, despite or even because of the fact that what it's talking about is, is a, a, a serious moment in history.
1: Yeah, well, well, well. Thank you. I'm 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 uh, relieved to hear that. Um, <laughs> I, I I find myself just really impatient with um with humorless novels and 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 humorless movies. I, I right. think that you know to me life feels essentially to be an, an absurd enterprise. And I think that absurdity is most eloquently expressed through humor. I, I think that you know it's humor is is sort of how we try to comprehend the incomprehensible. So I I, I think that that no matter how serious the 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 subject of of a particular work is, if if there's not humor in it, it it feels kind of kind of false to me. I, you know, I, I come from I come from a people who who make jokes at all of the wrong moments. Um, you know, I, I think that even when we're in the midst of of tragedy, there is uh, a natural tendency to to try to find a bit of comedy in it. And and I, I think that you know when I think about like some of the movies that have have meant the most to me and, and that have um, hit me the hardest um, you know particularly from from this period i the 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 movie more than any other one would would have to be um to be or not to be by um by Ernst Lubitsch and you know that that's a movie that is is profoundly, profoundly funny. And yet it is set in the most serious um and, and desperate of, of times. You know, that's a movie that um is is set in occupied Poland. It came out um in 1942, three months after Pearl Harbor. You, you know, it, it it feels watching it today, you know, it's it's this for, for anyone who hasn't who hasn't seen it, I, I strongly recommend you do. It. It's, it you know, it stars Jack Benny and Carol Lombard. It was Carol Lombard's um last 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 film um, prior to her death and it's it's this satire of this polish theater company essentially trying to use the the various tricks of their trade to um to escape uh, poland it is you know it's 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 laugh out loud funny like like there are moments of, of high farce um and and yet Lubitsch, I feel like throughout the the movie he he wields um, he wields comedy like a scalpel, and I feel like watching it, you you come to sense that he, uh, that a joke can be can be a, a deadly serious thing, and he is um, relentless with with using satire to uh, to expose the um, you know the the, the, the horrors of, of of life under under Nazi rule and the idea that a movie can um can be both you know so silly and so somber at the same time is um is is something that has certainly influenced my own work to to a great degree and and I think that that those are the um the experiences that I most often try to to seek out um whether in a novel or or on the screen it's interesting
0: that Lubitsch's film was being made prior to Pearl Harbor and you know, you did have these. Uh, we were talking. I was talking to Chris last uh, for the, for the last episode of, uh, oh, last episode, but one, with his book "Hollywood Hates Hitler." You had these films like uh, "Confessions of a Nazi Spy" and um, "The Great Dictator" coming out prior to to uh, to Pearl Harbor, and this is also where you take your the beginning of your book is where is where you have Mercury. And Artie having to go to Washington and sort of defend themselves because, and this is another thing that you know you referred to the Great Generation and the Good War. Some another detail which isn't which is sometimes forgotten or glossed over is that prior to Pearl Harbor, there was a a fairly bullish large section of the population and of the political class that wanted to stay well out of the war and actually had some admiration for the for the for the german uh nazi party and for and for the sort of axis what then became the axis powers
1: yeah absolutely i mean charles Lindbergh, um you know was the the spokesman for for the american first committee and he was you know now we we think of him as you know as as this this um simply as you know uh, a celebrated aviator but he was perhaps the um the biggest celebrity the the most um influential you know cultural figure uh of that moment and and he was he, he was uh 100% in in favor of um you know of, of playing nice with with Germany and and essentially letting letting England uh deal with um you know deal with the problems in, in their backyard on their own and um staying well out of it i I think that that yeah, there there is a tendency to to imagine that that World War II began in December 1941, and and obviously that that wasn't the case. And um, for the years prior, we did, uh, you know, isolationism was was far more um, popular. A policy stance than, than interventionism in, in the U S. And, and one of the things that I found so interesting, and you, you know, you, you referenced, um, Chris and in his book, Hollywood hates Hitler is, is absolutely brilliant. I, I I recommend that anyone, um, anyone, uh, hasn't read it, uh, pick it up. I also, um, recently got my hands on his, uh, his new biography of, um, of the Warner brothers, which is, um, which is fantastic as well. Um, but, um, but he uh, in that book he he describes the um, the investigation into so-called war propaganda by uh, a group of, sen- of isolationist senators who you know who who wanted to to es- essentially force Hollywood's hand in, in in the few cases in which you know anti-nazi movies were were being produced. And yeah I I, I think that um, that that in in how we look at America so so I think that you know this is this is a, a historical novel, and I think that one of the one of the pitfalls of historical fiction in general is that there's often a there's often a degree of nostalgia to the project. And one of the one of the, the guiding principles that that I sort of um, set out for myself when I was working on this is is to try to avoid nostalgia at at, at all costs, and 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 look at how history um, was fictionalized within these moments. Um, themselves. And so looking at, you know, at, at 1939, 1940, 1941, at the American the the forces in America that were most belligerently against any sort of, of intervention felt like a, a worthwhile project.
0: They provide their own sort of comic seriousness as well, in the sense that what they're trying to do is very serious and very dangerous. And of course has echoes uh, well, not echoes. What's the word? Sort of uh, forewarnings, I guess, of HUAC in the in the fifties and and uh, and on of where where the the lessons have sort of to some degree have been learned, and Hollywood kind of collapses. Uh, in a way that it doesn't in the in in the in the nineteen forty forty one
1: version. Yeah, I mean it's 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 sort of fascinating how given it, it, it it's given how successful Hollywood was in in fighting um you know in, in sort of acquitting themselves during um you know the late 30s and, and 40s uh, and and early 40s in these various um you know these various show trials it's it's understandable why you know in in um in the late 40s they went into the HUAC investigations really feeling like they you know they they had this in hand and to see how 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 sort of quickly um they they collapsed in in those cases um was is is yeah it's, is, is quite dismaying. And and you can see how um you know per, perhaps in in retrospect their successes in, in the 1941 uh Senate investigations led them to enter um you know enter the, the HUAC trials with perhaps a, a sense of of overconfidence. And um and maybe a, a degree of a degree of of having underestimated how you know how uh, American culture and society had had changed in the intervening years.
0: Another of the sort of crossovers as well sort of uh, you know I mean I'm I'm sure these are sort of intentional nods. You already mentioned the Orson Welles uh, uh, nod to the the Martian uh, radio story, but uh, so, uh, 1941, the film that Steven Spielberg makes, uh, it which is kind of a weirdly disastrous film in some ways and and a disaster film in another because it's all about you know massive destruction that 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 at the moment that actually inspired that film which is a sort of Fear of that the Japanese were attacking Los Angeles uh, and various anti-aircraft guns fire off and you, and you get a, a a little bit of a mass panic there as well. You you refer to that uh, and depict that scene as well. Did you have a, a little bit of Spielberg in your head while you were doing that?
1: <laughs> There's always a little Spielberg in my head. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean the 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 Battle of Los Angeles um is is this sort of uh iconic moment I think uh, mm. in, in LA history in in terms of um, of the panic it wrought the um uh, the you know all the 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 fear and, and hysteria that that came out of that, but but also how in some ways the the battle of, of Los Angeles feels like something from a movie where mm-hmm. um, a battle against shadows um, the, there there was nothing there it was. Uh, it was uh, a lot of light, uh, a lot of special effects, um, and and the only casualties, um, I believe, were people who got in um, in in uh, traffic accidents uh, during during. That.
0: Yeah, the evacuation was more costly than the thing they were evacuating to avoid. Uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. I, it sort of also goes to show how you know acts of the imagination can be can be can be great. You know, we can have movies, we can have novels, we can have. Uh, But also acts of the imagination can be, you know, can from political ideologies to 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 mass hysteria can can cause untold damage.
1: Yeah, I I think that, you know, one of my one of my pet peeves are in in literature are are novels that sort of um, uncritically fetishize storytelling as this unadulterated good that, Mm. um, you know, that that the very act of of telling a story um, is, is somehow virtuous in and of itself. And 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 I think that you know that that there are um, there's a similar instinct um, in in many films that valorize um, filmmaking as oh this if
0: another love letter to cinema. God damn it, we've had five this year, <laughs> five, and it's only January the second.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I I I think that um I, that 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 there's something that that I find tr- troubling in, in the idea that um, that the medium itself is seen as as morally um as 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 morally righteous um when in fact you know um a novel a, a story a uh, a movie like any other instrument of persuasion can be used for for very um you know destructive events and I think that you know the it, it's something that I think in in the past you know uh seven seven years or so um certainly in America we've been thinking of or hopefully we've been considering more and more just in terms of the the fictions that um have been spun by you know so many of of our political leaders in in uh in ways that are you know very damaging. And and I think that as um you know as as a novelist, I'm I'm always aware that that the very thing that I'm doing um you know in you know essentially creating um fabrications uh, even if they're fabrications built you know on on research and built on built on sources and 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 anchored in reality they're they're still you know they're still fictions how uh, the very tools of of my trade can be used by um by political actors to to really really disrupt events and and I think that that would be wise as you know as artists in general to be um to be more wary of um of our mediums
0: yeah absolutely the co-opting of sort of the the ability to take it's similarly with humor i mean uh the rise of the alt-right on the internet has been absolutely you know the rocket fuel that they've used as this sort of only kidding, you know. Just kidding, irony, you know. Wink, wink. Don't be so serious. Oh, ha ha, got you, you know. And trolling, you know. Uh, you know, the entire activity of trolling is based on a sort of tension between the serious and the and the. You know, what do you really mean? Are you really, uh, you know, uh, are you? Re- what are you really saying? You know, uh, it's mm-hmm. ex- you know. We use. Uh, I mean, I remember ten years ago, uh, postmodernism being all about that sort of uh, play you know uh unfortunately mm. when someone turns up to the playground with bad intentions uh, we we no longer have anywhere to stand which is properly secure i think wow wow that's that sounded that was very deep <laughs> <laughs>
1: You should you should you should you should
0: have a podcast. Yeah, I should do, shouldn't I? Like every other white man in his fifties. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love I I mean this is uh I love going back and, and and rethinking about Hollywood from this period, and I really uh, appreciated the opportunity to do so with with your novel. I, I'd lo- love to know as well, though. Um, sort of, do you have any books that you would that you would recommend our readers? to go to uh i mean i'm kind of i'm going to drop this this question on you because usually i ask for a recommended book but I, i'm also interested in whether there any like novels about hollywood that you particularly or about filmmaking in general that you particularly uh, would like to underline and point out.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a great a great question. So 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 maybe first I'll start with, with uh some nonfiction. So the, the my my absolute favorite book on nineteen forties Hollywood is City of Nets by Otto Friedrich, which is just a, just a remarkable book. He, 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 uh, he wrote it intentionally avoiding all in-person interviews. Um, he, he, he came to, to, to sort of see that, that most of the players in Hollywood, um, would, you know, relentlessly were were relentlessly, um, untruthful about their own, uh, their own histories. And, and so he relied only on, 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 uh, on other books. Um, and I, I believe he, he sort of condensed 500 sources, 500 books into into City of Nets. And he has just this genius for, for managing to pick out the most interesting little tidbits. And as, as a novelist, I feel like I'm always looking for, you know, I'm, I'm much less interested in big sweeping airplane view histories and I, I'm, I'm much more interested in sort of like the the little texture um the textures and and the 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 small particulars and specifics that that gradually grow into into characters and so for instance um one of the you know, one of the little details that um, that I actually begin the acknowledgments of of my own book with um, comes from City of Nets. Um, it's this uh, this anecdote about Irving Thalberg, who was making a movie and and he wanted to have this romantic um, this romantic Parisian seascape scene and. Those of us who have seen a map or have, have uh you know, been to France will, will realize that Paris is nowhere near the ocean. And <laughs> um this fact uh was underlined and, and pointed out to Thalberg by his various assistants uh who used maps and atlases to uh you know to uh to demonstrate this. And, and Thalberg was not deterred. His response was that was that he refused to cater to the handful of people who who knew Paris. Um and city of nets is just filled with with those wonderful little anecdotes i i would also say another book that i i really loved um and that i relied on a lot was was hollywood uh hollywood the dream factory by the wonderfully named hortense Powdermaker. Um, <laughs>
0: That's, that's a tense. novelist. That's a novelist invention. That person does not
1: exist. <laughs> I didn't believe so either, but but she has a Wikipedia page, so it must be, she must be real. But she was an, an anthropologist um, who uh who uh I, I I believe did um you know did field work in um in Papua New Guinea and, and came uh back to the US and uh essentially treated um Treated Hollywood as, you know, as as she would a uh, a group of uh, any other sort of uh, closed society that she would she um she was had had been studying in in Papua New Guinea and and she looks at the the various taboos the rituals the power structures the 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 dreams and desires and and you know all of this that that governed um, Hollywood in, in the 40s and it's this really fascinating um this fascinating look at how um, at how Hollywood sort of organized itself in terms of um in terms of power and 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 taboos. And she she had because she was she wasn't a journalist, she was an anthropologist, uh she had access to a number of of people um who perhaps wouldn't have been um as willing to speak with um you know an, an on-the-record journalist so that book is 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 absolutely wonderful and um maybe the the final um fiction book that i will highlight is is hollywood um uh god these books i, I these books are terribly titled they, they're all like hollywood <laughs> colon that uh, so, so this one is, is hollywood the movie colony um the movie movie makers and it's by leo Rostin. And he was a, uh, a sociologist, I believe, who came to Hollywood in, um, in the early 40s with a team of um, statisticians. Um, and essentially, um, it's, it's this... It's an academic book that is is wildly, wildly engaging. And he he picks up, you know, just so many um wonderful little um snippets, um, many of which I incorporated into, into, into this novel. Even even his his footnotes are are, are brilliant. He <laughs> in one footnote he has um he describes um this uh, this high school student who um who essentially rented out this network of of clappers to attend premieres. Oh
0: um, yes, I remember that from your novel. Yes, yes, yeah. that's a brilliant story. So,
1: so that was that was in one of his footnotes. So so, so th- this is a book that, that was so good. I I ended up you know I underlined it the first time I read it, and I underlined so much that I had to go back and and re underline in a different color just to you know sort of. Um, <laughs> Uh, to cut things down a bit, but um, unfortunately, it's out of print. But if if you can get a, a find a copy at a library or get a secondhand copy, I would I would highly highly recommend it. In terms of a fiction, you know, certainly um, the Day of the Locust by by Nathaniel West was was a big influence. I think. That he is someone who, who you know, obviously had had worked worked in in sort of the the down market end of the of, of the Hollywood you know the 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 Hollywood movie making business, and he, he he I think explores that with with great sensitivity and um and and beauty in 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 Dave the locust so so of 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 the various hollywood novels i i think that 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 would be that'd be the one from that period that that i felt most most influenced by
0: i only know that via the film i only know that via and and the film kind of really depresses me so i'm um, but i yeah, should, I should I mean, go back to the original i think yeah
1: yeah it's 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 a fantastic book it's it's definitely um you know it's it's definitely not a uh uh, i i wouldn't call it uplifting but um but it's it's one that i i feel like you know at at, at the time he was he was working i i believe he was he was he was um Writing B uh, pictures at um, at RKO, he 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 wrote in this period Stranger Stranger on the Third Floor, which I believe has been you know cited as, as sort of one of the one of the first kind of noir noir films to to emerge. I think that was in um, Peter Peter Lorre film, I think if I remember right. Exactly, right. yeah. Who 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 is gets top billing, but only appears in you know in the last five minutes of the film. Uh, but but yeah, he he uh, he he's he's someone who I, I you know he I don't think he he really broke in. To to the screenwriting world the way that he uh, that he hoped he he would but uh, but that book is, is is fantastic right right
0: I, I definitely I, I've definitely got it on a, on my list as it's it's one of those little holes in my you know uh, reading reading uh, background that I need to need to fill as soon as possible in fact I'm I'm buying a lot of those Library of America hardbacks and I think there's a Nathaniel mm. West and he's he's that justifies that justifies the outlay of $30 I reckon <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, mis- between that and 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 Miss Lonely Hearts, you're yeah. you're you're you're, you're set. yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's research. It's research I'm doing. It's not. It's not for my <laughs> own pleasure. It's not for my own. I'm sacrificing myself to the to the the of uh, film and books and podcasts.
1: So. exactly, exactly.
0: Um, w- w- another recommendation. I just wanted to add on top, uh, not of a a book, but of a film. Anybody interested in the internal exile. Uh, situation. I'm sure this is a film you're probably familiar with. It, I'm not sure if it, it was a film or originally sort of like a mini series, a three part. Uh, was Rosie's Christ stopped at Eberly starring uh, Gian Maria Vol- Volante, which is a, a really good, uh, a really good sort of portrayal of a, an intellectual who's who finds himself in a situation similar to one we were talking about earlier, where he he's in internal exile in Italy. And the, anything with Gian Maria uh, volante is worth watching because he's one, he's, for my money, he's the best Italian actor. Yeah, no, that,
1: that's fantastic. I actually got to see it um, in the theater. Um, oh, was, wow. Uh, it was, because it, it never received an American theatrical release, I believe, um, and, uh it, it was released in theaters maybe 4 years ago. Um, right. Yeah, I it. I was living in um in Oakland, California at the time and the theater was it you know, it was completely sold out. There were um uh, a couple of people were scalping tickets outside. Um it was kind of wild to see <laughs> to see that much interest in uh, a movie from uh, from the the 70s, I believe. And and I would also say say um uh, encourage people to read the book it's it's based on it as well by um by uh, Caro uh, excuse me, um Carlo Levy. Yeah. It's um, an absolutely brilliant book and 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 one that one I think it's it's a very faithful adaptation. Um but also so much of the of the book is, is simply about um you know, Levy's sort of quiet musings on mm-hmm. um on on um on uh on the the various towns that he he finds himself in. And um yeah he has this this one God, I I don't believe it made it into the movie, but he has this one um this one scene describing uh this this uh sort of public toilet um uh sort of toilet um facility in um in in one of the the towns that he found himself in. And it, it's this this sort of like gorgeous, you know, uh, marble thing. And it's it's in this um it's in this town where there's no running water where there's no you know electricity um and it turns out that the you know the the mayor's brother-in-law is a you know a, a toilet purveyor uh, up north and a, a bunch of ducklings have, have sort of um come to live in one of the toilet bowls and another one is is used as um is used uh, for laundry, um, and it's just this this brilliant image. He describes he describes this this uh, you know this this toilet as as being an asteroid that had landed um, in the south uh, from the north, and yeah, just really quite beautiful.
0: Wow yeah absolutely yeah that's a great that's a great recommendation um and I was also uh, the, well these is just a couple of things cuz I didn't want to interrupt you when we you were talking earlier but a couple of things that it reminded me of when we were talking one was when you mentioned Thomas Mann and his son how um maybe I got this from Otto Friedrich's City of Nets actually that his son used to write down uh subjects uh on his cuffs so that when he had dinner with his father thomas mann he could, he could talk to him because otherwise he was sort of paralyzed with nervousness talking to his father so he was up to the intellectual level of his father and i'd always <laughs> <laughs> always thought that was hilarious uh, in, a, in an incredibly sad way, but still, yeah. hilar- still hilarious. So dad, <laughs> so dad, what do you think of the decimalization? Of, of, uh...
1: Very casual. Yeah,
0: very exactly. Casual. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Egon <Schell. laughs> Um, And the other thing uh, that when we were talking right at the very beginning, and this is probably a good way of folding it up is, um, about how we look to Hollywood and we see sort of Fatty art buckle and the sort of the the sleazy the 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 scandalous and the you know the Babylonian nature of it i was uh, researching a novel once um and i uh, was lucky enough to uh, get to know Frank Cottrell Boyce, who, for many years, wrote screenplays for Danny Boyle. And uh, I sent him a, a version of the novel to to because it was it was based on an independent film being made in in Britain, and I wanted the sort of to see if it was realistic. And he's and and one of my main characters was this sort of like uh, alcoholic director, and he he said the whole premise of the novel is problematic because. The guy wouldn't get the money and he would be there, would be someone on top of him at all times. And he couldn't just wander off for the night and, you know, and go drinking and go partying or whatever. There would be someone from the studio sort of sitting on him and take, he'd, he'd have an early night and he would. You know, it, and he was talking about his relationship with Danny Boyle and said, you know, how Danny would, you know, he would work very, very hard, be up first person on the set, last person to go home. Then he'd watch dailies, then he'd have five hours sleep and then he'd start again. And he, this idea that, that they're sort of like, whoa, here we go, just is it, very rare because it, it's... It ultimately it's an industry and if you're not making the product yeah i mean i think we've seen some situations in which that people have gone off the rails a bit bohemian rhapsody most recently for perhaps um in terms of that sort of lifestyle not being conducive to to creating an actual film and how hollywood sort of will you know i wonder if if uh in the case of bohemian rhapsody brian singer uh, will will recover from that not not in terms of whatever perceived scandals of which i you know i believe there are some but but more because, you know, you didn't do the job. You didn't finish the movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's there are there are obviously similar similar images, uh sort of these romantic images that that we have of of novelists as 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 well in in, in terms of being, you know, alcoholics who drag themselves to the the typewriter and you know produce genius. Um and and in, in in my own experience as a writer in, in terms of the writers that i know um you know the the people who are who are um up late doing drugs and, and partying aren't up early you know writing and 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 i i think that um that all um you know all artistic creation is 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 difficult and and i think that you know the the people whose work we we most admire the 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 people who are most productive, the the people whose whose movies and, and whose novels um you know endure, I, I think are more often than not those that that take their um their craft um seriously. And 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 I think that um you know whether you're whether you're a director or or, or a novelist um or a photographer, um, if if your work isn't um you know at, at the center of your life, um it's it's difficult to find the the wherewithal to um you know to to continue to to continue producing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I totally agree. Uh I mean we love the romantic idea of the guy who just sits down at the piano and writes, you know, rhapsody in blue. But uh the the you know I know I know it's been a little bit challenged the old ten thousand idea hours ten thousand hours idea from uh, Malcolm Gladwell popularized in one of his essays I know it's it's not you know it's not science let's say but um mm-hmm. but I think as an idea you know you've got to put in the work. uh other stuff around that. I mean, I, I don't know. There are the exceptional. I mean, I think of someone like uh Rainer Werner Fassbinder and his uh you know, but but I mean he he had a huge appetite for drugs and 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 drink and uh, but also he had it. he must have had a huge appetite for work because, my God, what did he produce? He produced like two or three films a year. He produced a massive 30 hour long television program that was uh, that, that is considered probably his masterpiece uh, mm-hmm. with Ber- Berlin, Alexander Platt. But but maybe he's the exception that proves the rule because. Because Crikey, you know his films. Some of his films are amazing.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think there's probably always um, there's, there are probably always outliers. But you know, I, I had a, uh, a I had a teacher who, who used to say that they would only write when they when they were when they were inspired. But they made sure that they were inspired at nine a.m. Monday through Friday. <laughs> um, and, and I always felt like that that for me at least has been uh, a good a good way to think of of artistic inspiration and uh and all of that
0: yeah absolutely i totally agree with that i totally agree with that it's about sitting down it's about sitting down if you if you can master sitting down then the rest of it is <laughs> relatively easy <you> know? <laughs> brilliant oh thank you so much anthony for uh for uh coming on the podcast and talking about your your novel It is uh it was an absolute pleasure to read and uh, i highly I highly recommend it that can be my recommended book of the week
1: oh well thank you so much for having me this has been this has been such a treat
0: so that was my conversation with Anthony. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I had a great time talking to him. I loved his novel and I highly recommend it. Mercury Pictures Presents is the title. So there you go. You can get that from all good booksellers everywhere. All that's left... Oh, his recommended books were Otto Friedrich's City of Nets, which has been uh, recommended before. I think it might even have been recommended in the first ever episode of uh, Writers on Film, but it's such a brilliant book. I, I... it deserves multiple recommendations so if you haven't had an opportunity to read it that would be one to go for. I would love to have Otto Friedrich on the podcast but unfortunately he died several years ago. All that's left for me to do is to thank uh, Elliot Atkins from the music, Ali Harwood for the art and to thank you dear listeners Uh, it's a new year, 2023 has just begun, what a great episode to begin with and uh, hopefully we're going to go on um, and continue with Writers on Film. For as long as the guests want to talk to me and for as long as you wish to hear thank you very much for supporting us through through last year and uh yeah looking forward to a bunch of new guests and a a bunch of great experiences and episodes and conversations take care